Well, good morning. Very happy Father's Day. Uh, We're glad that you are gathered with us for worship again. Let's pray as we open the Word of God. Our God, we thank you that you are so great and so faithful and that you have uh, saved us and that you are working with us every day and every hour of our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit and his presence with us. We thank you for Jesus and his life, his teaching, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his uh, coming again, Lord, which we pray will happen soon. Thank you for your entire plan of salvation. And now as we uh, open your word again, Lord, we pray uh, your spirit's presence with us. Help us to be listeners who would uh, ingest and digest your word and then go and act and live it out after we have heard it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine sitting down to the best meal that you have ever had in your entire life. Your favorite, favorite food is sitting there in front of you. Uh, It's been prepared with exquisite detail. Nothing could be better than what you're about to eat. It is by far the greatest meal that you will ever have, that you've ever tasted. But the catch is that you're all alone in the room. There's nobody sitting across the table from you with whom you can share your delight. You have to enjoy this perfect meal all by yourself sitting there in silence. C.S. Lewis wrote about this sort of situation. He wrote about how in order to complete the enjoyment of something, that we are experiencing, in order to complete the enjoyment, we must have the opportunity opportunity to express our delight in it to another person. To share delight in something with another person actually completes the enjoyment of the thing. So for example, say I climb to the top of Mount Robson on the Alberta BC border and it's a clear day and as as I get to the top to the summit of the mountain I then turn and look out on the stunning view the whole vista the panorama that's before me it completes my enjoyment of that moment if there is someone there to share my delight if I'm alone in that moment, yes, it's still enjoyable. To be sure, it's, it's still enjoyable. But it is far better. My joy is more complete if I have opportunity to share the enjoyment with another person. The sharing of delight, person to person, completes the enjoyment. Well, in worship, what are we doing? We are coming to God. We are beholding God. And we are communing with him. And we are praising him. We are enjoying him. Especially as we worship God, uh, more than our experience of the best meal in the world, more than our experience of a stunning mountaintop view, as we worship, 
the creator of the mountains and the creator of the best meal that we've ever had, as we worship God, we want others to join in the enjoyment of God with us. Because God is the highest and greatest being. He is the most breathtaking reality ever, period. When we worship and delight in him, we need others to share our enjoyment with us. We need and we want people everywhere to experience what we experience with God. Well, friends, this is really what Psalm 96 is about. Israel has experienced God's presence. Israel has experienced God's faithfulness. Israel has experienced God's mighty acts on their behalf in their history. And Israel just has to share their worship experience with the whole earth. They are bursting at the seams in praise of God. They want all nations everywhere to know their God, the, the true and living God. They want all peoples to come and worship him with them because they know how great and how beautiful and how loving and how supremely mighty God is. So then Psalm 96 really is, we could say, it's a missional psalm. Israel is intensely concerned in this psalm to spread the name of Yahweh, to spread the reputation of Yahweh, their God, to the ends of the earth. I wonder this morning, are we concerned to spread the name and reputation of our God to the ends of the earth? Well, let's go to the psalm itself now. Verse 1. Oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Israel had been singing to Yahweh through their history. They had been involved in a great praise and worship time. Now they invite all the earth. That is, they want other nations and also they want the natural world itself, creation. They want the natural world and other nations to join the choir, as it were, to start singing with them, to start delighting in their God as they are delighting in their God. And the song that Israel is singing about their God, really it's an old, uh, it's an old chestnut to them. They've known the song for a while, but it will be a new song to the new singers to the nations that are being beckoned here to join the choir. Well, what are the lyrics to the song? What, what's the content of the song that they want the nations to sing? Well, in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist fills out the content of the song. Sing to Yahweh, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. This new song that Israel is inviting the world to sing 
has to do with four things, four things that are here in these verses. The song is first about Yahweh's name, and second, it's about his salvation. Third, it's about his glory. And fourth and finally, it's about his marvelous works. To put it all together, we could say that the song is about really the exaltedness and the loftiness and the majesty of Yahweh. Israel is saying here, join with us in delighting over the exaltedness and the majesty of our God. Israel is inviting the nations here to join them in making music about this God. They want uh, the nations to sing about God, but they also, notice, they also want the nations to preach God. They're singing and there's preaching in this worship service that Israel beckons us to. Notice the word tell in verse two, tell of his salvation from day to day. And notice also the word declare in verse three, declare his glory, tell and declare. These are preaching words. The word tell in verse, through, uh, verse two in the original Hebrew, uh, this is a word that really is best translated, proclaim. And it's a word that is most often associated with the proclamation of good news, the proclamation of good news. There's gospel news, there's good news that Israel wants the nations uh, to proclaim far and wide to the ends of the earth. And the good news here centers on God's salvation and God's glory and God's marvelous works. All of this is good and great news. Now I can say personally that I have not lived through a time like we are living through right now in, in all my 50 years on this earth. This is a time in our world where there is so much pain, so much confusion, so much uh, fear, so much hurt. If ever there was a time when the good news of God's salvation, God's glory, God's marvelous works. If ever there was a time when this good news of God needs to flow like a raging, life-giving river from the church to the world, it's now. We are living in a time where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ must be heralded, proclaimed, announced in a fresh and winsome, powerful way to the world. And so I'm asking you, soldier of Jesus Christ, will you sing the glory of God amongst the nations? In your corner of the world, will you find creative ways to do this? Will you tell of his salvation and his glory and his marvelous works? Will you be intentional about this, proactive about this, serious about this? I wonder. There is so much in our world right now that is ugly, right? 
And the ugliness can start to really weigh on us. It can sort of uh, start to cast us down. What do we need? We need right now in our world, we need beauty. We need to be immersed in beauty. We need to catch sight of beauty and linger with beauty and be healed in the presence of beauty. Well, our psalmist beckons us in verse 3 to declare God's glory. And Thomas Dubay is a writer who defines God's glory in terms, listen, he defines God's glory in terms of beauty. Listen to this. Dubay says, quote, The glory of the Lord is the supereminently luminous beauty of divinity beyond all experience and descriptions. A beauty before which all earthly splendors, marvelous as they are, pale into insignificance. I want to give that to you one more time. Dubé says, quote, The glory of the Lord is the supereminently luminous beauty of divinity beyond all experience and descriptions, a beauty before which all earthly splendors, marvelous as they are, pale into insignificance. Our psalmist beckons us to declare God's glory here in verse 3, to declare his beauty. My question to you, my friend, is this. Will you find a creative way today or tomorrow to be a doer of this word? Will you declare God's glory? Will, will you go out and risk this? Will you declare his shining beauty? to people around you who desperately need a good word? Will you sing the lyrics of God's beauty and his salvation and his marvelous works? Will you do this as you encounter a person who you know has been exposed lately to far too many ugly things? May we be doers of this word to declare God's glory and not hearers only. Go out and recount the marvelous works of God to somebody who needs to hear them. And also to yourself if you're feeling uh, sad, if you're feeling down. Ponder how God led his people in the Exodus, how he split the Red Sea and defeated Pharaoh's army, liberated his people. Consider how God overthrew the enemies of his people throughout the history, the whole history. How God preserved his people through thick and thin in often miraculous ways. Recall the power and the might of the divine warrior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to work God's greatest deliverance the cross, and the resurrection. Whatever you do, friend, sing and tell and declare and preach. God is the answer to the woes of this world. He always is.
verses 4 and 5, why sing about Yahweh, God of Israel? Why preach about him? Because great is Yahweh. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But Yahweh made the heavens. Now remember the verse that we just looked at, verse 3, where the glory of Yahweh, God of Israel, was to be declared among the nations, right? The reason that Yahweh's glory is to be declared, declared amongst the nations is that the gods of those nations are worthless idols. Now, how's this for a very politically incorrect verse of Scripture? The psalmist is far away from saying, like we so often do in our culture, uh, we say something like, well... That's fine for you if you want to worship your God. I will stick to worshiping my God. And in the end, everybody will be a-okay. We'll, we'll all be fine. No, there's none of that sort of popular relativism in Psalm 96 verse 5. The psalmist here, notice, he comes right out and says... That the gods of the peoples, that is, the gods who are other than Yahweh, they are worthless idols. We need to notice here just how exclusivistic, how exclusivistic the psalmist is. Any so-called God outside the true God, Yahweh, is a worthless idol. It's what the psalmist says here. The gods of the nations, in other words, are fakes. They are ineffective. They are useless. They are vacuous nothings. But Yahweh, he says in verse 5, Yahweh made the heavens. Notice that. The claim of the other nations might be that their gods inhabit the heavens, that their gods um, exercise some sort of power from the heavens. But all of that is negated by the fact that Yahweh made, he created the heavens himself. What Israel wants here is for the nations to see very soberly, listen, that Yahweh is it in terms of divinity. The nations must abandon their so-called gods and turn to the one true living God, Yahweh. He is the only real living God. He is great. He alone is great. He alone is greatly to be praised. He is the very best thing for this world at all times of history. Why? Because he created the world. Verse 6, splendor and majesty 
are before Yahweh. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Just catch the vision here that the psalmist is giving of your God. Where Yahweh is, there is splendor, there is majesty, there is strength, there is beauty. And we notice here the very purposeful contrast between the gods, the so-called gods in verse 5, who are useless nothings, the contrast between them and Yahweh here in verse 6, who is bursting with splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. Oh, for us to catch a fresh vision of our God right now and to declare his praises to the world. We need revival in our land. I pray that the church will see a new, fresh, life-giving glimpse of the glory of God and in seeing it that we would act accordingly, that we would invite a broken world to come with us and see him and praise him and worship him with us. Verse 7, ascribe, or we could translate, give to Yahweh. Give to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Give to Yahweh glory and strength. Well, when we recognize the splendor of God that that verse 6 talked about, when when we catch sight of the majesty of God uh, that verse 6 talked about, his strength, his beauty, when we catch vision of that, we can do nothing but give him the glory that he is due because there's no one who comes remotely close to him. Our God is incomparable. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like Yahweh, our God, seated on high? There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? There is none like you, O Yahweh. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due... For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. My friend, I hope that even as I preach this morning, worship is welling up in you as you behold your God through the scriptures. Verses 8 and 9. Ascribe or give to Yahweh the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship, or literally, bow down to Yahweh in the splendor of holiness, in holy attire, and tremble before him, all the earth. Quake before him. Shudder before him. Ours is a God 
whose glory and whose power are so tremendous that when we become conscious of that power and that glory, we quake, we tremble. Oh, friends, that we would be refreshed with a vision of our great God. We really, really could benefit from a fresh vision. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would give it to us even today. Verse 10, say among the nations, say what? Yahweh reigns. He reigns. The truth of God's rulership over the earth, his reigning over the earth, has not changed one single ounce since this verse was written. Yahweh reigns. And the psalmist says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Notice that. He will judge the peoples with equity. All peoples across the entire earth in every nation. Imagine that. Imagine someone who has the ability, who has the capacity to govern and to judge all peoples of the earth with equity. Can you imagine that? To render perfect governance and perfect judgment worldwide. Judgment that is characterized by pure fairness and unassailable rightness. God is that someone. He is the only one who has the ability and who has the wisdom to judge all peoples across the entire earth with equity. We need him. Oh, how we need him. Every hour we need him. Uh, verse 11, going into the first part of verse 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Now, now notice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before Yahweh. What's the psalmist doing here? He's calling upon nature itself to join in this ever-expanding choir to Yahweh, singing the praises of Yahweh. The sea with all of its fish, and the field with all of its wheat, and the trees of the forest. We are reminded here of similar invitations in Scripture, invitations to nature to praise God, like in Isaiah 49.13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Or Isaiah 55, 12, where the mountains and hills break into singing and all the trees of the field clap their hands. Trees 
clapping their hands. What an interesting image. And here in Psalm 96, 11 and verse 12, the sea, notice, is to get loud in the, in the praise of Yahweh. The fields are called upon to do what? To, to wave their wheat and to wave their barley in exaltation of Yahweh. All creation is to rise in a crescendo of praise to our great and magnificent God. And the reason for the, the praise of creation is in the last part of verse 13. The fields and seas and trees are to rise up to praise Yahweh. Why? For He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now with the way our world is going right now, we can barely imagine one who will levy perfect judgments on every single case, in every single nation, across the entire earth. We can barely fathom that there could be a judge who is utterly and totally and forever unaffected by bribery or by corruption. We can barely conceive of a judge who could preside over every square inch of the earth and be faultless and true and right in every single decision that he ever renders. But God is that judge, and God's mighty, righteous justice is the reason why all creation is invited here to sing and to exalt. He shall judge the world in righteousness. Charles Spurgeon, as he spoke of God, said this, quote, His, meaning God's, essential rectitude, that is, His essential uh, rightness of principle and His perfect virtue, will determine all causes and cases. There will be no bribery or corruption there. Neither can error or failure be found in his decisions. Close quote. Well, we've trekked worshipfully now through the 13 verses of the psalm. What's really interesting is that the same psalm Psalm 96. The same psalm is found in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 through 33, where it's actually part of a larger song that Israel was singing when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought from Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. On that occasion, as the words of our psalm were being sung, David had assembled an entire orchestra. If you read that chapter, you'll see he'd put together an entire orchestra complete with harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, singers, and even a conductor. According to 1 Chronicles 15, verse 16, 
on that day when the ark's being brought into Jerusalem, the, the musicians were to play, it says, they're to play loudly. And they are ra to raise sounds of joy, to raise sounds of joy. Yahweh was coming into Jerusalem. God was coming to his earthly headquarters. It was a time to raise great sounds and songs of joy. Well, several centuries after that, several centuries after David brought the Ark of God into Jerusalem, God would enter Jerusalem again, but this time he'd be riding on a donkey. And when Jesus Christ, the God-man, came into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, there was a choir of praise, wasn't there? The people shouted their hosannas and they exclaimed, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In keeping with verses 1 and 2 of our psalm, the people were singing praise as Jesus came into Jerusalem. They were blessing his name. And in keeping with verses 11 and 12 of our psalm, where we had the natural world invited there to exult in God, to praise him, the field and the trees and the seas. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, there were branches from trees that were involved in the praise. The branches were thrown down on the road. And Jesus said also there that if the people didn't praise him, the very stones would cry out. Nature would cry out in praise, just like we have in Psalm 96. Because Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as the one who was to undo the curse on creation. He was coming into Jerusalem to put an end to creation's groaning. He was coming to reverse the subjection to futility that the creation had endured since the fall of Adam, to get that underway and to inaugurate it. That day that Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey was just a few days before he was crucified. And on the cross of Jesus, that's where the salvation and the glory and the marvelous works of God that were mentioned in verses 2 and 3 of our psalm, where they came to their full measure, to their most brilliant manifestation. The cross of Jesus is where the judgment of God that is mentioned in verses 10 and 13 of our psalm, where the judgment of God is worked out. At the cross, God judges the sin of the world. He pours wrath on the Son of God who takes the penalty as the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. So the cross of Jesus is the place where we find the salvation that gets rejoiced over in Psalm 96. And the cross is where we also find the judgment that gets rejoiced over 
in Psalm 96. It's in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His work, where God has showcased to the nations, He has showcased to the nations the wonders of His salvation and His glory and His most marvelous work and His judgment. And Jesus, Lord of all the earth, will come again. He comes, says the 13th verse of our psalm. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 20, Surely I am coming soon. And we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming. And Jesus said in John 5.22 that the Father has given him all judgment. And in verse 27 of that same chapter, Jesus says that the Father has given him all authority to execute judgment. The Apostle Paul said uh, in Acts 17.31 he said this, that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The crucified, risen Soon coming, Jesus is the Lord of splendor and majesty and strength and beauty who is described in our psalm. Jesus is the Lord who reigns. He reigns. He has the keys of death and Hades. He is the King of kings. And the name of Jesus is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, as it says in verse 5 of our psalm. No one comes to the Father except through Him, through Jesus. Well, I invite you, friend, I invite you with the psalmist, will you do this this week, to sing in a robust way, sing about Jesus, and sing to Jesus this week. Will you do it? This very week, tell of his glory and his salvation and his marvelous works and tremble before him as you worship him. Give him the worship that is due him. Enjoy him. And say among the nations, say to our broken, fractured, bent up world, say the Lord reigns. Jesus reigns. It's this song that we must carry into our hearts as we go into our week. And won't you share your delight in Jesus with others so that they might come to know Him and so that your own joy may be complete. Amen.